and welcome back into the fire. We've got a fun episode for you today. Um, episode 90 Woo-hoo. of the In the Cast, 10 wow. away from the big one. So we are getting there soon. But today we wrap up our series on the book of Nehemiah and even bigger series on the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, which of course come back to back in the Bible. But before we get into that, hello to my two co-hosts, Thomas and Peter. You too, welcome to the fire. I hope you are doing well. Saturday morning for you today so far. Yeah, no, it's going well. Doing well. Glad to be in the fire. Yeah, no, it feels feels great to be back in the fire. We're T and I are recording outside right now, so it's yeah. I, so I heard the in the background. One. It sounds very pleasant. <laughs> good, good. I'm glad it does, but it's it is a little a little muggy outside. So um, we're trying to ring in the fire the best we can, and we're we're excited for this episode. Um, it's I know it's episode ninety which is 10 away from 100, and also, as you said, the, the end of a series that's taken us pretty much this whole calendar year. So it's a big one. Yeah. And it's it's been a great series so far. So we're going to maybe do, at least at the end, some overview of the whole book, some of the big takeaways and lessons that we learned reading both Ezra and Nehemiah. Um, and, but before that, we're going to get to the last chapter, which is Nehemiah 13 where some interesting things happen. Um, and we hear even more about how Nehemiah. Um, but before we begin, are you guys <laughs> ready to go? Any any thoughts on Nehemiah before we start or things till later? Hmm. You know, I think this is a good example of uh, what's the word? The word is disappointment. Uh, this chapter. And so we can explore that as we go into it. Yes. Yeah, I think there are some recurring themes that we see throughout these two books. And yeah, disappointment's one of them. And Repentance is another one, and leadership. I mean, I think we see many of these recurring themes throughout the books and in this chapter today. So I think it, it'll be a fitting conclusion. I think so. And there's a lot to read, but we're going to go ahead and power through this whole chapter right here at the start, and then we're going to talk about it. 31 verses total. Um, so I say we each take about 10. Uh, Thomas, how would you like to read one th- verses 1 through 9? All right. Peter, if you can take 10 through 20, and I'll do 21 through the end. I think that breaks up nicely. Yeah. Paragraph breaks are. (laughs) All right. Should I just go ahead and read? Let's go for it. All right. Nehemiah's final reforms. On that day, they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people, And in it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God, for they did not meet the people of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. Yet our God turned the curse into a blessing. As soon as the people heard the law, they separated from Israel all those of foreign descent. 
Now before this, Eliashib, the priest who appoint, who's appointed over the chambers of the house of God and who's related to Tobiah, prepared for Tobiah a large chamber where they had previously put the grain offering, the frankincense, the vessels, and the tithes of grain, wine, and oil, which were given by commandment to the Levites, singers, and gatekeepers, and the contributions for the priests. While this was taking place, I was not in Jerusalem, for in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I went to the king. And after some time, I asked leave of the king and came to Jerusalem. And then I discovered the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah, preparing for him a chamber in the courts in the house of God. And I was very angry. I threw all the household furniture of Tobiah out of the chamber. Then I gave orders and they cleansed the chambers. And I brought back the vessels of the house of God with the grain offering and the frankincense. I also found out that the portions of the Levites had not been given to them, so that the Levites and the singers who did the work had fled each to his field. So I confronted the officials and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their stations. Then all Judah brought back, brought the tithe of the grain, wine, and oil into the storehouses. And I appointed as treasurers over the storehouses, Shelemiah the priest, Zadok the scribe, and Padiah, of the Levites, and as their assistant Hanan, the son of Zachar, son of Mataniah, for they were considered reliable, and their duty was to distribute to their brothers. Remember me, O my God, concerning this, and do not wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for his service. In those days I saw in Judah people treading wine presses on the Sabbath, and bringing in heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys, and also wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads. Which they, which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them on the day when they sold food. Tyrians also, who lived in the city, brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the people of Judah in Jerusalem itself. Then I confronted the nobles of Judah and said to them, What is this evil thing that you are doing, profaning the Sabbath day? Did, you, did not your fathers act in this way, and did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on the city? Now you are bringing more wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. As soon as it began to grow dark at the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I commanded that the doors should be shut and gave orders that they should not be opened until after the Sabbath. And I stationed some of my servants at the gates that no load might be brought in on the Sabbath day. Then the merchants and sellers of all kinds of wares lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice. Then I warned them and said to them, Why do you spend it around the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. From that time on, they came no more on the Sabbath. And I commanded the Levites that they should cleanse themselves and that they should go and guard the gates to sanctify the Sabbath day. Remember me, O oh my God, concerning this also, and spare me according to the greatness of your mercy. In those days I also saw Jews that married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. And half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod, and could not speak the language, but spoke according to the language of one or the other people. So I contended with them and cursed them, struck some of them and pulled out their hair, and I said, You shall not give your daughters as wives to their sons nor take their daughters for your sons or yourselves. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations there was no king like him, who was beloved of his God, and God made him king over all Israel. 
less pagan women caused even him to sin. Should we hear of your doing all this great evil, transgressing against our God by marrying pagan women? And one of the sons of Joyada, the son of Eliashev, the high priest, was son-in-law of Sanballat the Horonite. Therefore I drove him from me. Remember them, O oh my God, because they have defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood. And Thus I cleansed them of everything pagan. I also assigned duties to the priests and the Levites, each to his service, and to bring in the first fruits at appointed times. Remember me, O oh my God, for good. The last chapter of the book of Nehemiah. Um, I think the best way that we just start at the top and then work our way down through this whole uh, account that we have here. Um, so if that sounds, we can go ahead and start kind of first group verses, verses one through three. Yep, that sounds great. Sounds good to me. Yeah. All right. So uh, what do you guys see here? I think initially we have them. I see the the people in Jerusalem here falling into kind of the same old pattern intermingling with foreigners, which we know Ezra and Nehemiah both, I think, um, gotten on top of them about. So not great to see them falling back to their old ways. Yeah. So again, it's kind of a recurring event that happens when they <laughs> fall back to their old ways and, uh, the the good thing that I see in this in these verses, which stands out to me, is that um, Nehemiah is looking back to the scriptures to kind of inform how to act and, and handle this. Um, they he reads from the book of Moses, and I think on that day um, is maybe the dedication of the temple that we finished on in the last episode, because I'm I'm assuming when the chapter just opens up with on that day that that is pointing back to another another uh, day that has just been finished talking about which would be the um, the dedication of the temple so assuming that we know that dedication is a big act of repentance and worship and um that makes sense that they are you know focusing on the book of moses and obviously nehemiah we know the kind of leader he is and looking to the scriptures. And so they do this. And while they're looking in the book of Moses, they, there's this example of the Ammonites or Moabites who did not meet the people of Israel with bread. And there's this uh, Balaam incident where they hired Balaam. So they're clearly rejecting the God of Israel and um, like well, hiring Balaam to curse them. Uh, and and so that is kind of a, a sign of a need to continue this separation of uh, the from of Ammonites and Moabites from Israel as a way to to honor God and, and to repent and uh, I think that this example informs what Nehemiah is about to do with these examples that we see through the through the rest of the chapter yeah. the curse that they um, that he's talking about here happened in numbers uh, I do not have it pulled up right now but that's where it is, 22 to 24, if you wish to go see. Um, I think 
Yeah. And like this is the this is Israel who is who is as we just saw like, uh, in the last couple of chapters, chapter ten, they have resealed the covenant. They're like we're gonna we're gonna do better. Um, and I think right here, verse three is the last of them doing better. Um, as far as like yes, they've let the foreigners back in again. However, through the reading of, of the Torah, there's a little plane going through. That's that. I was going to ask. <laughs> um, they, re- they read the Torah, they read the book of Moses, and they separated from Israel all those of foreign descent. This is kind of the last thing in this chapter that they do correctly, <laughs> or that we yeah. kind of see them do correctly. Um, and yeah. And this, um, yeah, so there we go. That's about all I have to say. Yeah. And, okay. and the rest of the meat is, so we can go ahead and get into that. My Bible, I think, quite uh, adequately describes the things that happen here. That's the word that it uses. Um, so I think there are, there are several instances of backsliding that we see here uh, in the rest of this chapter. And you know, just so we don't uh, don't forget about him, uh, we see almost immediately here, verse our old friend Tobiah is <laughs> that little Tobiah who had worked his way into the high-ranking officials in Jerusalem, just just can't get rid of him. Um, <laughs> he wants he always want he always wants a part of the action. He does, and we'll see more from his friend later also couldn't go we couldn't complete this book without hearing from these guys i don't think um but so yeah tobiah comes back um eliashib who's the priest at this point in time is the one who is my bible says allied with tobiah Mm. it's interesting because we also know that um verse six when nehemiah is talking about this in jerusalem so um, I saw whether it was in the footnotes that I have here, or it may have been David Guzik who mentioned this. Probably about ten to twelve years that Nehemiah was away from Jerusalem, uh, back in Babylon with Artaxerxes. Um, and so when he was, you have the priests who are kind of sliding back into this thing and giving Tobiah, you know you know, lending some time and even some space here to Tobiah. So it is kind of sad to see that Nehemiah leaves and then there's really nobody there to keep even the priests and they end up just going back to old ways and old people who have caused problems in the past. It's a little discouraging. Yeah. Kind of reminds me of um, Moses when he the first time he goes up to the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments, and then he's gone for an extended period, comes back down, sees Israel worshiping the golden calf, and then he slams the, <laughs> the tablets on the ground and breaks them. But um, um, it's kind of kind of reminiscent of that, where you know, your, your leader is gone for a time, and um, I think Nehemiah has good reason to go back to the king, because obviously has a closer relationship with the king. He was his cupbearer. Um, and the king graciously allowed him to leave in the first place. So he's coming back, probably feels an obligation to continue to serve the king. But 
not the not the result he wanted to see upon his return and how Israel um, handled their responsibilities and and whatnot during his absence. Um, so yeah, I think yeah, I think that's that's spot on. It's kind of a, a backsliding, a, a loafing back to their old habits and and ways. I can only yeah. imagine Nehemiah's dismay back home and saw Tobiah of all people <laughs> living in the temple. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And Jerusalem. So I remember I remember in chapter six, I, I pulled it up when Justin you referred to when Tobiah was given that position <laughs> after after working against Israel for so long, and then he like somehow finds his weasels his way inside. <laughs> um and it's it states in chapter six, verse seventeen and eighteen. Moreover, in those days the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Jerusalem were bound by oath to him because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Aroth, and his son Jehohonan had taken the daughter of Meshalim, the son of Berkiah, as his wife. Also they spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him. And Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. Um, there may be, honestly, there may be more. Uh, there may be more to that. But he kind of threw his... Um, through his son-in-law, he kind of marries into the <laughs> to being a part of Israel, and we see it kind of um, expands his his role, and now he's obviously he's, has this uh, insider relationship with Eliashim. Is that who it was? Mm-hmm. The priest. Yeah. Also, looking back at chapter six, there's this verse where Nehemiah says, remember Tobiah and Sanballat, oh my God, according to these things that they did, um, which I think is remin- or kind of reminds me of a couple of these verses here where um, Nehemiah is saying, remember, oh God, this is later on in the chapter, so we'll probably get to it eventually, but um, yeah, verse 29, remember them, oh my God, um, speaking of in part of Sanballat, uh, because they have desecrated the priesthood and covenant. Um, so it's kind of a repet- repetition that we see again in this final chapter. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think this shows, I think, partially the importance of like a strong leader that Israel was lacking. Uh, like, while they had the leader, while Nehemiah was there, they had direction and they had accountability and they knew to follow the law. But yet, in the absence of that leader, they had fallen back to their own ways. They had nobody to keep them accountable. They had become corrupt. And, you know, it just shows that um, our strong leader is Jesus. And he has he's shown us that. And we could not have a stronger leader for ourselves um, guiding our lives. But we can get to that in a minute. Um, yeah, I think that this does show the importance of, of being accountable to the law, to how we're, we've been called to live and being accountable to God and how easy it is to 
um, let things slide. And then it's a slippery slope. Pretty quickly, you'll not recognize where you are. And it's crazy. Yeah. And thankfully, yeah. Nehemiah returned to Jerusalem before that happened. Verses 7 through 9 is what I'm looking at here. Um, so the, the verse that came to mind for me, it was a short one from Ephesians 4.27. Do not give the enemy a foothold, and the enemy here being Tobiah. And obviously he had some kind of foothold in Jerusalem before Nehemiah returned. But upon his return, Nehemiah very abruptly and very, like, with a level of finality, it seems here, uh, tossed Tobiah out of the temple. Here, uh, he cleansed the rooms, so he very quickly turned that around to, I think, you know, take this little foothold that the enemy had planted his little foot in <laughs> and <laughs> completely, completely get rid of it. Um, for doing that, not so great that he had it to begin with, but Nehemiah is a good example, I think, of as soon as you see the enemy there, here is Tobiah, but also probably to some extent Satan. Um, but in our lives, Satan for sure, as soon as the, the enemy there has a foothold, it's your responsibility to kick him out, kick him out of the house. <laughs> and that's what Nehemiah does. Yeah. Yeah. Another similar verses, I think, in Genesis with uh, Cain and Abel, where Maybe it's with Adam and Eve where um, God is saying that like sin is crouching out the door. It wants to have a hold of you. Like it's just kind of waiting there for its turn if yeah. if you let it. And here it's, um, yeah, I think a foothold is a good way to describe it, that Tobiah and through that possibly Satan has on, on Jerusalem. And maybe when uh, Nehemiah is gone, they get kind of comfortable with, Tobiah, the Israelites, and like, oh, yeah, there's no bad blood here, and they don't really, um, or they kind of ignore the possible danger that's there. Yeah. Um, so we see that first area of uh, battles with Tobiah and the, the priest who had kind of lost his way and given Tobiah a foothold and Nehemiah fixes that. The second area of backsliding that I see starts here in kind of verse 10 when we find out that the it's here, the portions for the Levites had not been given to them. Um, so the people had not been uh, I think tithing is what they had kind of stopped doing here. Um because verse 12 says they brought the tithe out again. So they stopped providing for the Levites, for these people who were supposed to be on the wall worshiping. And we saw, we saw that, I think, in the last couple of episodes where they worship on these walls. And it was this kind of cool awakening of, of godliness again. But we see here in verse 10 that that has kind of stopped because the provision that would have come from these ties, I guess, and nourishment um, and maybe money as well to these people was not given to them because the people of Jerusalem had stopped tithing. And where else are these worshipers going to, you know, get their nourishment from? Uh, they're busy worshiping <laughs> and they're busy being priests. It's the Levites who are. So um, they're busy 
duties in that way, but we see there that they have to forsake those duties and they have to go out back to their farms to provide for themselves. Breakdown, I think, of the worship aspect of Jerusalem as soon as the people stop tithing, which to me sounds like a pretty to give um, and yeah. to tithe even today, I think, because uh, imagine if everyone churches and everyone stops giving to missions they're going to dry up and they're they're not going to be able to function because you know ministry kind of relies on the giving of other people and on the um generosity of of believers to those causes and see here that um as missions for the levites dry up the levites have to stop worshiping because they have to go provide for themselves Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Um, this is a complete breakdown of the like religious structure in Jerusalem. And the fact that the Levites aren't being cared for means the church isn't being cared for, which means people probably aren't really concerned with even like going to temple or like doing all of the, the, those things that they've been called to do. Um, sacrificing probably isn't going on. And it's just, it's sad, really. Um, and it shows that the, the people of God are looking out for number one, which is themselves. Mm. They've fallen back to, to their old ways, not tithing, not giving. And it's, uh, it's very sad to see. This is why I think it's it's very disappointing. That's why I started the, mm -hmm. the episode off with this, you know, because we were just coming off this massive um, revival and just not even 10 years later after Nehemiah has, has left, they have, they have not completely, completely forgotten what everything that they did for the temple and rededicating themselves to God and, and everything like that. And it, it's sad, but it also shows us what we do in our own lives as well. Mm. So, yeah. yeah, it is. It's very relatable. In chapter 10, that's where they make the covenant and they talk about, and there's uh, a dozen verses dedicated or focusing on the obligations of the covenant in which the in which Israel recommits itself to God and and that's where you see a lot of the talks about the offerings and the sacrifices and the tithes the giving that's going to happen and disappointingly <laughs> fast forward to chapter 13 and it, it it's not happening it's yeah a reversion back to selfishness and not putting God first um, there's some foreshadowing that goes on there where it's like everything here that's listed are things that are not kept <laughs> later on in, in chapter 13 uh, yeah yeah uh, so yeah there we have that the uh, foregoing of the tithes and offerings and giving and that's a big area of backsliding. The next area comes on 
um, the Sabbath and the people working on this um, strictly forbidden, strictly forbidden back in the Old Testament times. I, I do have a note that um, from from David Guzik that the New Testament makes it clear that we are not under the same law of the Sabbath in the same sense Israel was, but we are certainly under the same obligation to make honoring God more important than me or spending money. And that's a big important part of the Sabbath along with rest. Um, so we still, I think today, are under the same obligation um, of putting God above that and also making sure that we you know, separate out some time to rest and rest kind of with God. Um, and we see the people here are not doing that at all. The, the, some are working on the Sabbath. They're making money on the Sabbath. They're trading, they're, uh, doing, you know, all, all this different work with people outside the city. Uh, and that obviously is quite frowned upon at this day and age. Hmm. Yeah, we we see the return of the wine press. Um, I, it always reminds me of of Gideon who was hiding in a wine press. Um, he was threshing wheat in a wine press. Anyways, it's like wine presses are a lot of work, and it's not something that you do on the Sabbath. And you're supposed to rest, and yeah. Even the most basic of commandments as rest on one day a week, they are not keeping. Yeah, you know, and they, I just chose keep that. They get a day to just rest and take it easy. I mean, who wouldn't want to do that? <laughs> I know, but here they are disobeying <laughs> just for some money, really. No, yeah. <laughs> I think it's funny. The once uh, Nehemiah stationed some of his servants at the gates that, and this is in verse 19, that no load might be brought in on the Sabbath day. <laughs> it says, and the merchants and sellers of all kinds of wares lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice. And then <laughs> I'm assuming these are um, non-Israelites who are <laughs> doing this, looking to trade like they've gotten so comfortable, you know, coming in and not, not really understanding the Sabbath themselves perhaps. And, and then then they just suddenly one day find themselves forced to lodge outside Jerusalem and then it says once or twice and then they probably get the message and are like ah, well this is a bummer then, <laughs> yeah, well I'll tell you how they got the message city. that's Nehemiah threatened hands on them <laughs> uh, Nehemiah directly threatens them and so I mean I mentioned that so Nehemiah's response is pretty stern and straightforward again um the vigilance that nehemiah has in i think seeing these problems but then also responding to them with a, a good bit of force when he needs to um is another good lesson for us and here we see a direct that like i'm ends up means attack instead of prayer you know um but we see nehemiah threatens them threatens these people who are outside jerusalem to get them out of there and then they leave um, so, you know, he's, he's, I think, as just making sure that everything is going smoothly as, po as smoothly as possible and the people are living faithfully. That's all. And he's willing to, you know, do just about anything it takes to get them there.
Mm-hmm. I feel like that's it's kind of required to be a leader of a young, important city. Um, and to follow God, like, you need that sternness and that dedication and um, uh, I'm trying to think of the, the word you use, Justin, the zeal, zeal, zeal. Yeah. Um, yeah, that is a good word. Yeah. But all those things, uh, it may not, may not have looked the same if, um, Nehemiah was of a different, of a different personality. just didn't step up like this when he needed to. Mm-hmm. I do think that maybe Nehemiah's actions here are not the most justified. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he's, he's, he's beating people, pulling out hair, <laughs> forcing them to do things. Um, like, I don't know if we as Christians are certainly not supposed to be doing this, but I think that, um, I think where the Pharisees kind of got like their legalism from, I think could be tied back to Nehemiah here. Mm. Um, and like, obviously like you want to follow the law and you need to follow the law. But again, let's, it's not just keeping the commandments and doing the things, but it's also about a heart change. And that's why the, the, the revival seemed like such a great thing because it seemed that Israel's heart had changed and they're turning back to God and they're, they're keeping the commandments not out of obligation, but out of, um, out of a desire to be faithful, to be godly uh, and to be pious. And it seems as though like what Nehemiah is doing here may not be encouraging them to be pious, but mm. rather punishing them for, yeah, it's rather punishing them. Uh, which, you know, sin has to be punished. That's not a bad thing, but it's just, it seemed like there was a heart change and it's disappointing that there is no heart change. And I don't necessarily know if what Nehemiah is doing is going to encourage a change of heart. Mm. I think that's pretty fair, um, especially as we like get on, as you three kind of through the end here, when he really gets like physical confronting his people. Um, and it seems like a little much, and it is, I think, perfectly fine to note that Nehemiah is in no way perfect. He's just another human, and uh, yes, he's one of the greatest humans that we see in the Bible, but we also know that he probably has his flaws. Maybe anger is one of his flaws. <laughs> um, yeah. And in a sense, some of this is justified, I think. Maybe not. We see instances of Jesus getting angry when he kind of overturns the temple. We see Nehemiah kind of do this with that early in the chapter when he kicks Tobiah out. He throws all Tobiah's stuff out um, of the house and orders that the room be cleansed and returned to what it should be. Um, but then maybe we see Nehemiah cross a line here in terms of how he treats these people. Kind of do understand his anger. And um, I imagine that when, you know, when he struck some of the people, it was kind of like, you know, the big men that could take a hit. (laughs) Um, Hopefully. Pulling out out their hair and all, it does kind of seem like a lot. 
Um, you ever had uh, your hair somewhat, pulled out again? <laughs> 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 somewhat justified, um, but also Thomas, I think we see maybe a little bit of imperfection in Nehemiah. Yeah, and there's like you said, Justin, there's time for righteous anger. And we saw that with Jesus. And, you know, I think the, um, for us, it's important to be slow to anger and then, like, not let the sun go down on anger. So to be, wait as long as you can to be angry and then deal with that anger as swiftly as, as possible. And maybe we, we don't see that here, maybe with the confrontation or cursing and beating some of people and pulling out their hair. Um, like, maybe that is something where Nehemiah gets wrong and I think um or goes wrong and I think that um like I I'm, I appreciate you bringing that up Thomas because I didn't even really think about that and it's kind of like the last chapter of the book like you want it to be a happy ending like you want Nehemiah to kind of be the hero but maybe we don't really get that here and that's that's also kind of the point like we're not going to get that through a human um absolutely um He's imperfect and Israel is imperfect. And like, it's, there's not really like, we see this time and time again throughout these books. Like there is really no happy ending. There's moments where like they repent and turn to God and things seem to be trending upwards and then they, they fall back down and kind of a, a, a cycle that continues and they're not going to find the solution to it through one, through one human leader, I guess. Yeah. Um, even though like no, Nehemiah gets a lot right, but also he's probably gets some wrong and isn't the ideal leader that that is needed. Yeah, sure. I mean, Nehemiah is trying to help Jerusalem, right? Um, but I think maybe his methods were a little bit more fueled by anger <laughs> than love here. <laughs> I think that's all I'm trying to say. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. It's sad. It's disappointing that Nehemiah did that, that Israel has become what it has become. And yeah, it's like this, this kind of weird, surreal ending. Um, <laughs> remember me, oh my God, for good. <laughs> yeah, it kind of ends on a, a, a almost abruptly, like it ends on a weird note with this whole story and then just kind of that. Like we don't get a, a real conclusion to the story conclusion just kind of yeah it just kind of ends (laughs) (laughs) um, or maybe that goes to what you were saying and that not going to get a conclusion to the story until jesus fulfills everything so mm -hmm. this book kind of ends and leaves me at least wanting a little more uh because i want to see things wrap up nicely but we don't really we know that Nehemiah cleanses everything and that's kind of how it ends, which, you know, is good, good for him, but it's just kind of a weird, I think kind of a weird ending to the whole book. Yeah, it is. It's kind of, it's humanly impossible for Nehemiah to do better, I guess. Um, <laughs> like he does, he is a, he is a great leader and does the best he can, but you know, his humanity and anger kind of get the best of him and kind of, the last line, remember me, oh my God, for good, kind of makes him sound like a sacrificial lamb. Like he's mm-hmm. like focusing on, on himself, like saying, remember me. Um, I don't I don't know. You guys can let me know what you guys think, but it's kind of a self 
focused ending rather yeah. than like focusing on God or or Jesus, which like he like it's a, like he does the best he can, but he's it's not really possible for him to be the leader that's required, which we don't get from any human, but we get through Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that and actually, uh, yeah, right at the end there, you said it, it's like remember remember me for good oh my god for good he's like i tried to do something good here and i couldn't and it's like the the only real thing that can that would allow him to do better or allow israel to do better would be jesus coming and like being the messiah being the foretold king being the one to end sin for all good for for all time um good and like finally setting us free from sin you know this is a human man who is still bound in sin who's trying who 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 is motivated to love god but he can't force israel's heart to love god um that's something that has to happen naturally and i think that he's like man i tried (laughs) like i like god i love you i'm trying to to get israel to realize um, that they love you. And it's just like, I did my best. The rest is up to you, Amy. Um, but yeah, it's hard. It's hard to force sinful hearts to love God. I think that's what he was trying to do at the end. I think that's very fair. Um, and I really like you, know, you guys mentioning how it there all points to Jesus and that's what it does. And maybe that's why the chapter or the book ends in a kind of, uh, you know, so, so way this whole last chapter and then the very end of it too, it just kind of, it, it leaves you wanting more. And I think point to that because these people at the time probably were always left wanting more. Um, as I think everyone existed in this world probably is left at some point in their life wanting more and someday we will get that more um but until then uh we are we are waiting i also point out real quick the uh the thing that caused nehemiah to hit his breaking point here um was the the intermarriage between the jews and the people of ashdod ammon and moab and we have seen this problem pop up time and time again it is the one sin that um, the people here just cannot seem to get away from uh we we know that this kind of act led to the captivity and it was the first big sin we saw in the book of ezra when the people were you know were coming back to jerusalem and now it's the big sin that they fall into again and nehemiah obviously knows that this has been a problem in the past he knows that it has to extract god's judgment on the people when they do this and so I think he's probably a little scared of that. He knows that the, God has judged them in the past for this. He sent them into captivity for this kind of stuff. Um, so I think he's they are doing this despite the many warnings that they've had against it. We also see Sanballat shows back up. So of course, gotta bring up. But I do love. I do love how quickly Nehemiah deals with that. <laughs> One of the sons, uh, the son of Eliashib, was a son-in-law. <laughs> Just because he was his son-in-law, 
uh, Nehemiah drove him away. <laughs> so he got rid of that problem. It's like I'm trying to think of a good analogy. It's like Harry and Marv from Home Alone. Just <laughs> keep finding a way to show up. <laughs> That's actually a very good analogy. Well, I will leave it to you guys to add anything else you want on this chapter. Otherwise, but I do want to get at least a little bit to some takeaways from these two books, just generally speaking, you know, a couple big things that we um, last chance to say anything about Nehemiah 13. I like that you, you tied that back in just now onto what the breaking point was for Nehemiah through the intermarrying that we see him talk about in detail at the end of the chapter, but I think it's a nice um, like bookend to the beginning of the chapter too, where like that's the main um, takeaway that uh, Nehemiah gets from reading the book of Moses was the um, kind of the intermingling of, um, I guess it's not really intermarrying here that's specifically called out in the first three verses, but the intermingling between the Ammonites or Moabites and then Israel and kind of see that um, come back at the end of the chapter. Um, but that's, yeah, I like that. That's about all I have left on chapter 13. Yeah. Kind of going off that, you know, language is culture and they're not even speaking the language of Judah. Um, and so like they're, they're culturally straying from God, from like the, yeah, just from their language that like lends itself towards God. Um, they're speaking other languages that lend themselves towards pantheons. Um, and I think you, you see that in the derelict temple. You see that in working on the Sabbath. And you see that in Nehemiah's like anger, you know, it's like Nehemiah was did 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 what any godly leader should do and should have done in like coming to Jerusalem, leading the people back to God, leading the people back to the Torah, um, setting the people right, the people coming together and saying that we like we want to do this. Um, revival happened. And then as he had to leave and go back to his duties elsewhere, the people were left without their strong leader and they've gone back to their old vows, their old ways. They forgot what they were doing, why they were doing it. Um, Cause I assume that they forgot the reading of the Torah and they stopped going to that. Um, and then of course, Nehemiah comes back. I'm just summarizing the, the chapter now. Um, I'm realizing that um, he gets angry, but it's like, this is a very human thing to do. And you know, it shows that like Nehemiah is human and that like, we're going to have moments where we're like Nehemiah at his best. And when we're like Nehemiah, when he's beating people and pulling out their hair um, and all the same that we can, we can go to God in both. We can follow him at both and he will lead us um, as long as our hearts are dedicated. To him. And I think that's, that's a reassuring thing. You know, it's like, it's never up to us. It's always 
maybe, maybe it's not net reptiles, but like it's the burden is more so lifted because we have been set free from our sin in Christ, and He allows us to to fail, and He gives us grace every time we fail, and that's and that's pretty pretty beautiful. And I think that's all I have to say about that. I that think is well that said. is very perfectly said um, and a good way to finish this one out. And we have a few minutes, I think, to get into some big takeaways from these books in general. So uh, I say we go around the, uh, the <laughs> around the room, if you will, and uh, give maybe one or two takeaways had on this little series that we've done. Um, I can start us off, and I think when I see uh, the big one here in terms of leadership uh, is the diligence that I think all the leaders that we saw in this, Rubabel, Ezra, Nehemiah, especially Nehemiah because he's more recently on my mind, but just diligence combined with wisdom in, term, in terms of knowing when to act in certain situations, when not to act, what to say or what not to say at certain times. Um, and he does that because I think he's diligently and, and purposefully praying about these things. We see him constantly turn to God and we see him says maybe up until the very end here, knowing the right thing to do in these situations. And it's because he is such a faithful man and someone who is that with God. So, um, I think it's. Especially for a leader in a time of uncertainty and um, a time of kind of rebuilding, we see that Nehemiah is the one willing to be diligent and take up the reins and act at certain points. Action is needed. He's the one willing to do it. So um, I thought that was a good lesson for, for us throughout both of these books. As thing. Yeah. That was one of the main takeaways I had too. Just what, what biblical leadership looks like and you know another another big takeaway i have in addition to that is uh, kind of a, in the same vein but um the importance of understanding biblical history and the promises of god and yeah. uh, israel's past i think there's a great prayer in uh chapter nine that kind of walks of nehemiah that kind of walks through the um history of Israel, the shortcomings of sin over and over again. And we see this throughout or the shortcomings of hum humanity through their sin over and over again. And we see that continue, um, that arc continues in Ezra and Nehemiah. But I mean, it's really throughout the history of Israel. And despite that, God remains merciful and continues to um, stand by his promises and be with, be with his people and deliver them uh, despite is or despite our sinfulness um and so yeah there's just like some specifics like I, i'd love to just meditate on some of these those prayers that talk about the history of israel and the steadfastness and mercy of god um and some of the other prayers i think there's a couple of them that it would be good to just reflect on uh, as we head forward into new episodes um and yeah, just how these books, um, other takeaways, just how these books encapsulate the human condition. And the only thing missing from
from uh, Ezra and Nehemiah that we don't have, that we uh, have today is Jesus. Um, and like there's uh, countless times where, you know, Israel fails and they recommit themselves and repent to God. And that's just the cycle. But um, we now have Jesus on our side to handle that burden and to um, like be our true leader. And um, that's beautiful. And it's a gift and blessing for us that we have to, um, to rely on and to have in us in our heart through the Holy Spirit, someone who can do what we, what we can't. Absolutely. I've said it once and I'll say it again. <clears throat> we see um, uh, it, the heart of Israel in these, these two books. Um, and we see the heart of sinful humanity as well. And it really does go to show that it's not just doing the things or checking the boxes. It really is like, or do you like believe that that you're following the one true God. Do you, is, is that where your heart lies? Um, if it is, this stuff will, will flow out of you naturally and more naturally as you continue to, to, to dedicate your, yourself to God. Um, and that's the work of the spirit, uh, that Peter was saying there, but, and like, there's grace for, for mistakes. There's grace when you mess up, there's one trait about God throughout the entire Old Testament, it is grace. Even though he sent them into exile, he brought them back. You know, even though his people forsake him, they brought him back. Even though the, his people wanted a king, he gave them a king. And you know what? He's, he's given us an even greater king, the greatest king of all, Jesus. And Jesus is coming back. We know that because, well, God, God says he was. Jesus said he was, and you, 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 that is one thing you can put all your chips on. You can bet everything yeah. all on Jesus coming back because uh, he said he would. And I think that's, that's, that's about everything. But like, remember, it's a heart issue. Why did Israel stray? Because their heart wasn't in it. Is that okay? Absolutely. There's always grace. And you can always turn back to you. You doing okay there, Jay? I am. Sorry, had a little <laughs> sucked some water down the wrong tube. Uh, happens to me all the time. <laughs> um, I did want to end things based on what you guys said, a verse that I found that I think is relevant. Romans 8, verse 3 through 4. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son and the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. So he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, but these books give us a really good look, I think, at a people who... I might have to have you guys finish this one out. <laughs> I, if you if you want to mute and for for a second, and you can you can cough all you want. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's a great great uh, verse to bring up. Um, but yeah, it's like Jesus has done all the heavy lifting lifting for us. He has has come down. He has become flesh. 
to to finalize and defeat and kill sin once and for all. Uh, he, he has done that for us because he loves us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and as always, the focus should not be on the humans, and should not be on um, like when it comes down to it, like Nehemiah and Ezra and Zerubbabel and their leadership, or Israel's like repentance and new covenant and and whatnot because we see where that gets us in these books like it's ultimately leads to disappointment like it's the focus should not be on on our efforts and and our repentance it should be on god and jesus and um and that's that's that should be the takeaway like all the takeaways from anything in the bible should point back to god and jesus and the qualities of god and his grace and his mercy and qualities of jesus as also being god and also fully human and um doing what we could not do and the hope and power that we have through that um yeah yes to repent but also just to have everlasting joy and eternal life absolutely well said i think i'm okay now all right Uh, yeah thanks for over and finishing that out let me say a quick prayer and then we can finish up here dear god thank you in the fire that i could have with thomas and peter here i thank you for our listeners who are loyally listening to all our episodes out there we're very thankful for each of them and the journey that we are all on together in this podcast um i also thank you for your scripture that we got to read a couple books here in the series on ezra and nehemiah I pray that we would strive to be like the the people that we got to know in reading these books, um, who fervently lead for you and who follow you faithfully and encourage others to do the same. Um, and I also pray, moreover, that we would look to the coming of your son as the one who will fulfill everything in the end and never leave us wanting more um, and never leave us empty-handed or forsaken. Um, I pray for a great for all of us and for all of our listeners out there and again thank you very much for the opportunity to do this amen Amen. all right peter uh if you could tell our listeners how to get in touch with us that would be awesome yes so there are a few avenues through which you can reach out to us um one of them is our instagram our username is in the fire podcast. If you're not following us yet, please do. We will put up a post when new episodes are out. And, um, you know, sadly this series is ending and, you know, it's taken, um, like it's been a big part of this calendar year in 2023 and a lot has happened over that time. So it's kind of, you know, tough to see it go, but there'll be new episodes and new series coming and, We'll make that known on our Instagram um, through posts, through stories. We'd love to just get interaction and um, get a pulse on how you guys are are feeling. Comments, questions, concerns, recommendations for episodes. Like we'll we'll need to make more episodes on different <laughs> on different books of the Bible now. So we'd love to get those from you if you have them. Um, you can also email us those at three in the fire at gmail.com. That's the number three the letters in the fire at gmail.com you can also rate us on spotify or wherever you listen and there's a little q a on spotify too you can 
interact with us directly on where you listen if you have any questions or comments um, through there. But yeah, I think that's that about covers it. I think that's it. Yeah. Yeah. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you for coming with us on this journey of Ezra. Where to next? We don't know, but we will find out soon. Uh, but thank you guys for doing this and everyone have a great week. Peace. See ya.